week we released the one that uh, Chuck and I recorded. Okay. Anyway, we should uh, say thanks to Chuck for filling in. He did an excellent job. Did better than me, damn it. I know. I, t- <laughs> I think I, you're going to I told John him. earlier that, yeah, I've, I've been, that was, it was, a, it was an interview, interview for his replacement. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to put a poll up in the Slack channel and people oh, can vote. <laughs> <laughs> Poor John. <laughs> well, that means I get one. I get to interview someone without you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Play that game. It's like a vote off. Who gets voted off this island? That's right. Survivor. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if, if, if like neither of us survived that round and two new people had to take over? That is probably a very likely scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I've never claimed to be a professional. No, Chuck did a really good job. Though. He's, you know, he's like a natural speaker. You know, he, he does these, um, he, he does a lot of talks at the different Salesforce events and things. So, I mean, he's got, he's got some good practice at it, but I think he's just naturally, and he can get up there and just, he's got the gift of gab, I think, as he, as he uh, self-proclaimed. It's a good gift to have. It is. Uh, d- so I have a question. Uh, obviously, our iTunes, I guess, is working again, yeah. and, and all the things that feed off of that system. Yes. Um, did we ever find out what the hell happened? Yeah. I'm we glad did. you asked. Oh, Jeremy, wow. I'm I didn't. Glad you I, asked. I, I, I did not. For this. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that you knew, but I thought I would ask. Okay. So it turns out it was Squarespace that did it. Oh, Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that week, and I didn't mention this to you because I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, but they, they responded finally, like a week after everything was up and running. It was, uh, thank you for your patience while we track down this issue. We have discovered that this issue came from Squarespace's end. Squarespace discovered they were incorrectly redirecting Apple podcast servers and have corrected it. So Squarespace, Squarespace yeah. How is that? And I'm possible? not sure what what that means. They were redirecting incorrectly, but I, I, I'm assuming somehow they mixed up the feeds on their end and sent one feed to the wrong place. Uh, is what I'm assuming. Like they got the the IDs mixed up. Wow. And what? And it kind of makes sense because I I had changed the feed, or you know, when I when we first got the problem reported, and I had to wait for that to kind of go through the system. And then all of a sudden, it was back to the other, the other feed, and the icons were starting to change. And so I think that's what happened is they were they kept serving it to the wrong spot. So anything I did kept getting overwritten. And how did you find this out? Did iTunes tell you? Yeah, they finally just responded to my case. But but by the time I decided I wasn't going to wait anymore, and I tried to change it again, by then everything was working. They had solved the issue, and then okay. they they of course closed it. And, when, and that, that was the response they gave me. Crazy. Crazy. Okay. Well, hope they don't do that again. <laughs> Damn Squarespace. Know. You know, what do you, I mean, overall, what do you think of Squarespace? Just I'm, kinda, a little, I'm a little disappointed uh, by the uh, promise of Squarespace because it, it sounds like it's going to kind of be this really great higher end WordPress competitor, but it just never achieved the amount of customizability or flexibility. I mean, it has some really nice features in it for sure. But even like managing the templates and things, I even thought about trying to create my own templates and it was just, it was a pain to the point where I was like, nah, this is not something I want to do. I mean, I, I haven't used it enough to, to really say, but it seems like, my perception is that, you know, it's if you want something, if you do need something really simple, it's easy to use. Yeah. Whatever. But I mean, gosh, it does, it's not long at all before you hit the point of like, okay, I just need running WordPress again. Yeah, and WordPress is a tough beast to compete against because there's so many just plugins and options available for it that it's it's just easy to plug stuff in. Now, having said that, having it, it, 
you can get yourself in trouble, just like with Salesforce and App Exchange, and or or what, what does Shell say? The the iPad. It's not an iPad. <laughs> WordPress and Salesforce are not iPads. Don't load a bunch of crap into it because it'll it'll affect performance. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. With flex, with great power comes responsibility, or great responsibility. How does that go? I don't know. I don't know how it yeah, goes. With great power comes responsibility. Anyway, all right. Well, um, so what? Have, uh, you know, we you haven't been on the podcast in three weeks. So tell everyone what you've been up to, John. Not not anything that. You're the one that's been up to stuff. I haven't been up to anything. I've just been working. So after Trailhead DX, I uh, rented a car, picked my wife and some friends up at the airport in San Francisco, and we drove south through. Yeah, and even told me Santa Cruz, so Monterey County, Santa Cruz, um, all the way down the Central Coast, basically. So through Paso, then down into Santa Barbara County, we did the Santa Inez. Uh, area Santa Rita Hills. Hills. Spaceship. The spaceship. What spaceship is that? The Apple spaceship. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so was that real? Did you actually try to go there? Yeah, we did try. To, did I tell you that? Well, I, I saw the the <laughs> caption and I thought it was a joke that he said. Yeah, security wasn't very happy about this. About oh no, they up. were not happy. We real this lady comes storming out of the, the little security guard shack. And was just like she was just pointing and yelling at us. Turn around! Oh no, she was saying back up, back up, back up. And I'm like. I wanted to just do a U-turn, like kind of pass the security thing and do a U-turn because there was, it would have been weird. I mean, I, I was backing up into a major street. And I'm like, <laughs> so we were just like, whatever. So I backed up into that street and we just kept on going. But yeah, we kind of drove around it. Why, why, why such a response? Oh, because she takes her job very, very seriously. And she probably should because, you know, well, do you, you know how crazy Apple is. A lot of people have been trying to go there. Oh, I'm sure a ton. I'm sure tons have, you know, try to do that every day. And that's her job is to run out of the little shack and say, back up, back up, back up. That's her job. She's that like, is literally her job. I don't want to hear your story. I don't want to hear why you're here. No one's supposed to be here. Just exactly. go. Just turn around. Yeah. You know, I also realized, I mean, Cupertino is a, is a weird town. It, it just seems all like residential and kind of, and kind of like a small, it's got a small town, like the gas station is also like the car service station and just everything feels small about it. And the Apple, now I didn't go, and I've never seen the, the existing Apple headquarters, which is only like half a mile down the road. Mm-hmm. But the spaceship is just in the, in the middle of, a, of just residential. It's the middle of a neighborhood. Huh. And I don't understand this. What they do? Just drop a bomb and get and nuke all the houses that were there, or maybe maybe there was some existing industrial park they just they just raised, and they're, they're, you know they're building on yeah, that ground. But I mean, it's just in the middle of a neighborhood. Huh. I know. Like, I wonder how these isn't, don't they have zoning laws in California? That would never fly here. <laughs> I'm sure Apple, with its vast resources, is able to change any kind of zoning law that they want. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> Benioff may be the king of San Francisco, but uh, Mr. Cook is king of uh, Cupertino. Yeah, he's king of the, I guess, king of Silicon Valley. Yeah. But yeah, the, the um, and then we went to Ridge Winery, which is up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, kind of close to the top. And that's what I was getting, like photos of the of the spaceship from from up there. That's not a bad view. No, it was a good view. It's yeah. weird seeing it at, at that angle that you're at, because it almost looks like the foundation wasn't flat. Like It seems like it's it's uh, tilted a bit. At least in the pictures, that's what it seemed like to me. At least at the time that I saw them. I'm not looking in right now. What seemed tilted? It seemed like like it was tilted. Like it wasn't flat oh, on, really? on the landscape. It was there was a tilt to it. So I mean we I drove all we drove all around it as close as we could get, which were kind of like major neighborhood streets. Uh-huh. 
so you, I couldn't see it that well because there's just there's lots of um, mature trees and things that are surrounding it. So I didn't get a great, but I did. I did notice it. I did not notice a tilt, mm. but could have one. I don't know. Yeah. Um, maybe but yeah. So we tilted. Yeah. We, so I think it was five or six days. We were just driving around doing wineries and breweries. Got some good stuff. Spent you know signed up for too many wine clubs. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> I was gonna say you do that every time. You you end up coming. Back so with- he, here's a pro tip. It's a good day, sir. Pro tip. <laughs> uh, you when you go, you know, spend some time in the wine country. Uh, sign up. Use use one credit card. Mm-hmm. Just just one one card the whole time you're there. And then when you get back after you get your first shipment of wine from all these clubs that you sign up for, then just cancel that card. That's the best way to get off of the clubs. <laughs> just cancel the card. Um, that was good though. It was fun. Can't you use like a rechargeable card or something? Just let it run. Oh, let it run out. I guess you could. I call that my debit card. <laughs> it runs out way too often. <laughs> Honey, my debit card keeps running out of money. What what's going on here? <laughs> anyway. So yeah, and then just since I've been back, I've been well, I, I immediately dry hopped that beer that I that I brewed before I left for California. And then actually last night I I transferred it to the um serving keg. So it's uh, speed under speed uh, carbonation right now, and it probably will be carbonated enough for me to drink tonight. Oh, nice. I tasted, I sampled it though, and it was it was good. I mean, it tasted a little bit different than the batch before, but also this one was kind of it's kind of a mystery beer because I realized after I was done with the mash that my thermometer was jacked up, and so I have no idea what my mash temperature was, which is which is actually a very big deal in brewing. Hmm. Uh, and my process was different because I didn't get to dry hop it at the points I normally would in fermentation because I was out of town. So I just mm-hmm. left it in the fermentation chamber and uh, on 62 degrees and just hopped it when I got home. So, but it still tastes really good. I mean, I think it'll be, I think it'll turn out well. I just, I was, I th- th- what are you, it's going to, it's going to be the best beer you've I've, ever made. Yeah, and because you have it's, no way of reproducing it, yeah, it, it'll be lost. Unrepeatable. I'll have to schedule another trip to California, <laughs> brew it right before I leave. <laughs> well, you'll also need to keep that thermometer. I know. Cause you need to use that exact, yeah. that messed up thermometer. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so anyway but and then just since then I've been uh, frantically trying to catch back up on work I've got a couple of new things that are starting and I've got things I'm trying to wrap up and crazy people I'm trying to talk, it's, out, it's, talk out of bad ideas it's, it's been tough <laughs> trying to get back from being off and trying to get into a groove you, you have all the catch up work and then you have just the I don't know what to call it. it it's not short-timer syndrome. It's like the opposite. It's like I'm still on vacation in my head. I don't really want to do anything, but yet I'm doing stuff. Yep. <laughs> so it's just it's just kind of battling with my own my own self. Yep. Trying to keep myself motivated. So from from your distance and advantage point, what did you? Uh, what were your impressions of Trailhead DX? Well, the first day I was I was um, discouraged. You know, I was, I was seeing some of the posts. That you were having, I think you went to like the the quality thing. Was that the day before, or is that the day of? That a quality, quality key, uh, that was or whatever. Well, there that wasn't was. a quality keynote. There was just a separate. There was a kind just of an equality. Uh, there is an event, and okay. I think I, I think it might have been completely community organized. Uh, so, because I, I think it sounded like the event was starting off really slow, because you had that event, and then it seemed like you spent like a lot of the, I guess what was it Thursday, I guess Thursday maybe waiting in line or or something like that. It seemed like the last day is when when you really started to post things like you were excited about things you were learning things you were hearing about things so i felt like the conference seemed at mm. least from my perspective like it started out really slow in terms of good content and then by friday is when everyone was just like just 
you know, wonder, posting about all the good content they were getting. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what it was about about Thursday that was because the conference was Wednesday and Thursday, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it was. I don't recall. I think I think there was the packaging. Um, packaging two was on Thursday. I think a lot of people are interested in that. Yeah, I heard some uproar about the packaging. Yeah, I think. I mean, the packaging is interesting. It's definitely a move in the right direction. There's things that are uh, quite a bit better about it. Um, it, but it also just when you as soon as you dig into it, though, you realize that. I mean, this is great, but man, there's there's so much more to do to, for them to just catch up with. Um, well, is it so much catching up or just having to deal with the legacy that is the the metadata API? Well, and that's, I mean, if, if one of the goals is to is to have a path from managed packages, I mean, that, obviously that's a huge constraint. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's just, I don't know. Like I said, there, there's, a, there's a lot of things that I think um, are going to be some good tools for not just ISVs, but also just guys like us, inter, you know, enterprise developers or consulting developers, whatever the hell everybody calls guys, themselves. Guys like us. Yep. Um, there's going to be some good stuff, I think. I mean, I haven't, you know, it, the devil is in the details with all this stuff. And so until I, I haven't gotten hands-on with it yet, I don't even know if you can. I, I think there's a pilot that's starting... Although I have not received my email yet, so who the, I don't I haven't received emails from any of the things I was supposed to receive emails about. I don't know. When. Well, that was going to be my question because it seems like everyone got really excited, but then you know, at, ever since then, I haven't heard really anyone really speaking up about things that they're experiencing or learning. So it seems like you guys heard about a lot of stuff, but didn't actually get to experience a lot of things hands on. So I know I know packaging too. I believe there it, it's it's. Uh, Gonna, it's going to go through a pilot process for probably one release, and then the release after that, I think, will, will be in, available um, in beta or kind of like a uh, you have to ask to get it type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then probably the release after that, it'll be GA. Okay. But yeah, I think there's going to be some good things. I mean, the, the whole idea of decoupling the namespace from the package, basically being able to have multiple packages, and there's this concept of a workspace that I don't really understand, but you can basically have a workspace that's associated to your... Uh, to your namespace, mm-hmm. and then you can have multiple packages within that. You can declare dependencies, which the, the I'm not sh- quite sure of the actual utility of that at this point because there's no dependency resolution uh, tool or algorithm in place, and there's really no concept of transit uh, transitive dependencies. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like the tool is going to say, oh, um, yeah, so your package depends on these other ones. Well, we'll go pull those, and oh, those packages depend on things. We'll go pull those. It doesn't. It doesn't do any of that. So <laughs> I don't see how it could or should. I mean, it should just be a build, ideally. Um, well, without okay. the system actually having to proactively go and pull dependencies. Well, let's say that you have a package and it, it depends on some. Uh, let's say you build a package and and you want it to build. On, I have a. Let's say you have a package you built. You were asking about your. Uh, there goes Alexa. What is she doing? Cancel. <laughs> let's say you've got you 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 were asking about your global. What do you do with your global utility f- methods or whatever, right? Let's say you um, built a nice little package with all these, you know, like say st- let's say it has a bunch of string mm-hmm. string methods, string utility methods, and you package up John's John string package, right? Yeah. And I I'm building a new package, and it turns out you know I could really use John string. So I say my thing depends on John string thing, right? Um. So when I build my package, it needs to know to go get yours. And so, so that my code can compile and and it can all the dependency on yours those get resolved. But the, again, the question, well, and the first question is like, does it do that? But then the second question is, what if your package depends on something? 
Yeah, but that's assuming that, that that those packages, the global packages, are are some kind of library or some kind of component that that can easily just be or module that gets transported in between different builds, and that that just doesn't seem. Well, that's and that's uh, your like that's a point that would work. It would work. It's that's how all software engineering works. Whether work I mean, that's all how modern enterprise, you know, or or web scale engineering works. That's not how this works. That's not what this is. So that is a non-goal. What I just described is a non-goal, which is kind of disappointing to me. But but I don't. There is good stuff here, regardless. I, I mean, I, I'm fine with it being a non-goal because I'm not sure that would work really well in the Salesforce world. Well, I think it's a huge problem. Like we, I mean, how do you how do you build modular software in a world where I mean, what 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 do you how do you get all these libraries? You copy and paste them in. You go to GitHub and copy and paste it in, or I mean, and and what about what happens when one thing needs one version of something, another thing needs yeah, another we version? Yeah, but we have that problem today. What happens if someone updates something and it has has these well, cascading no, breaks you do. across you, the entire system? You do, and that's why building on Salesforce is, is horrible software engineering. I mean, but now a, we're, every, just, we're every, just making it worse by by saying we're going to include some kind of dependency management. I just I just don't see that working. I'm I'm not a fan of that. I'm a fan of having a good known build that gets pushed up, and that's that's it. I think the bigger problem is the fact that whenever you write your 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 managed package, it's it's a standalone org, and when you want to write your other managed package, it's its own standalone. I think ISVs have so like what happens these if let's, let's say I create all these developer instances, yeah. and then you but how do you just like share code across all that? Because obviously you're going to have some like common libraries that you're going to share, and I think that's the bigger issue. It's not so much like what do you do with a dependency when you're packaging it. It's how do you manage that dependency when you're developing? I think they're both problems, like de- develop time, build time, and and deploy time and runtime. It's like how does all the and then uh, anyway, the simple answer is it really doesn't do any of that for you. You you can declare dependencies, but they're kind of just embedded in your existing code. It's it's kind of just like a code. It's it's somewhat of a code modular modularization mm-hmm. uh, type of thing. So, so it's almost like. It's just aware that you're you're saying that I need this at some point, and if if there's some kind of compile, I guess what what is what is the goal? Like when you compile or when you build, it will say, "Hey, where's this dependency that you said you had?" If it's not, I guess I guess I think it's just up to you to include your dependencies. I I really, like I said, I don't know. I I haven't gotten hands on with this at all, so it's still real theoretical to me. And I, Mm. you know. I'm one of those type of learners. I've got to. I've got to actually do stuff with it before I really I understand it. So I. Yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong about half of this. Probably am. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, like I. Re- I'd recall that. I. You know. I think. I do think there's going to be something. A lot of things that make people's lives easier, especially with like you know. You can pick. You can kind of have. There's. It's really fine grained that the. the in terms of the model for once a package is installed, like what can you do to it? Can you upgrade it? Mm-hmm. Can the customer upgrade? Can you push upgrades? So yeah, who has control over the upgrade process? I, I'm, I'm assuming some kind of licensing. And, and you can, you can. It. I think you can also, as a package publisher, you can dec- you can have more rules on what people can do with your stuff. So you can say, hey, I'm giving you this page layout, but you cannot edit it. This page layout I'm including in my package. I'm gonna give me. I'm gonna give it to you, but if you want to change it, you have to clone it and make your own. I'm not gonna let you edit this. So there's. I mean, there's all kinds of little things like that. So I don't know. We'll see. I can see that being beneficial. So, so taking a step back, popping the stack a bit. What, what did you think overall? Like, what was your impression of the type of people there? Because I think one of my bigger concerns about the event itself was: is this a developer conference, and there's a lot of developers showing up, or is it a "quote unquote" sales citizen developer conference, and there's a lot of non-developers there? So, okay, let's let's make a definition here. So, let's say a developer is someone who either has a CS or software engineering degree, or has been 
working in this field for let's say at least a at least an equip an, like an equipment like four or five years. You know, sure. if you program your languages, you you know you know uh, you know how HTTP and the web works, and you know you you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. you, you're, I'm trying not to be reductive or cyclical here, but you're you're a developer, right? That was, I would say, uh, it'd be generous to say that was half of the crowd there. Hmm. So still a large, a lot of non-developers, developer. Yeah. yeah. Would Would you say citizen developer? And, or would you say Would you further segment that pie by just random people, like either salespeople or just kind of new admins or anything like that? Was it, Or was it really people who were really involved with customizing the platform? So I do think it was majority people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, majority people there were people who build stuff in Salesforce. Now, whether or not you know, they're a software engineer or they're a, a citizen developer, that's, mm-hmm. you know. But if you add those two groups together, that's, yeah, that was, it seemed like the majority. There were, it didn't seem, you know, you didn't see like a lot of marketing or salespeople there, I don't think. Except... Except the, some of the sponsors that were there that are trying to sell you developer-y stuff. Yeah, that's going to be my next question. Well, like, I, I'm assuming they had some kind of vendor expo oh, yeah. or something. And, just, and just was like, it primarily focused on dev tools or admin tools or the gamut? Or what was that like? No, there were a lot of dev tool stuff there. And a lot of stuff that, a lot of things that they probably couldn't afford to buy that space at Dreamforce. Oh, yeah. And they had, you know, the, this, the, like, was it second floor of Moscone that's normally the, is that the admin or the dev, the kind of admin or dev zone or whatever? That second that second floor that's kind of like the main place you hang yeah. out at Dreamforce. That was basically set up the same as, as it is at Dreamforce. I mean, the whole thing was decorated trailhead, right? It's economy of scale, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just reuse what you already have. It's trailhead. I mean, it works. Dreamforce is trailhead. And so that's a lot of the same things. So, I mean, I mean like I said, I mean, overall, it was. It was, you know, it was fairly developer focused. There was there was some citizen developer stuff, but there was a lot of you know more did hardcore you, uh, developer did stuff. You get your hands on any kind of badges while you were there? I saw some pictures of people holding up badges, <laughs> like physical badges. Physical badges. Oh no, I, nope. <laughs> I don't have physical or digital badges, John. Oh. I don't have no stinking badges, man. <laughs> so what else? What what else? What other key technology? I guess DX, the whole DX thing, had to have been discussed. Yeah. And DX is is cool. I still is it still what we think it is, or is it morphing? What is your thought on what DX is? And I don't see it morphing. Um, I did. I think I confirmed that you know it doesn't solve the metadata problems with the whole metadata system that mm-hmm. that I think plague uh, any anyone who is doing significant metadata stuff. Um, your those problems are all still there. It seems to be really focused on. Scratch orgs and getting and deploying into scratch orgs, mm-hmm. uh, but it does not seem to cover getting your stuff into production. I could be wrong, but I didn't see anything. It's you know, it's like that's the that's the big elephant in the room is mm-hmm. what what about getting stuff into production? So I always thought that the scratch org would be kind of equivalent to your known build, and that's where you would that would that's where you would go to for your to to deploy from. Yeah, so. So the scratch org is this it's vanilla right it's it's spun up from out of thin air right but I mean, it represents production right no no nothing nothing uh-uh, at all not at all it is empty empty entirely empty entirely empty you even have to set like what features you want what edition of salesforce it is is it professional is it enterprise is it you know oh, I, I can see the value in that oh I, huge yeah. value in that i mean i love it that's yeah. great it's a uh, i mean it's 
that's something that's really useful for uh, ISVs, especially. So it's more just to try to test your software against a build type. And it's really ephemeral. I mean, I've, I haven't really even dug into it yet, but I'm assuming, I, I think they, they spin up fast and they probably run fairly fast as well in terms of metadata and tooling operations. I'm guessing probably run fast. But I think they're designed, then you, th- you just throw them away. You know, they're just easy up and down. I would think so. I mean, is there a reason why someone would want to keep them for any length of time? I don't think so. Because I mean, the, the setup and everything is all config-based, right? It's all automated. You, you set your settings and then you just run it. Yeah, I mean, there's you basically describe what you want in like a JSON file. Yeah. So I can't see a reason why you would want to keep yeah, it around. I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, not, I don't know. I don't know. There might have been a lot of new DX stuff, but it, the overall story seemed somewhat the same to me. In terms of like volume, were you able to kind of get to the things you wanted to get to, or you kind of left standing outside the door? Yeah, so I mean, there there were you know some logistical issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, was everything in the same building, or did yeah, you it was all Moscone West. And there were I've heard everything from you know six thousand to twenty thousand people there. Wow! So I, I would have can't imagine I would have expected three million developers. Or so, <laughs> I know. But. You know, and what are they saying now? Four million? I mean, they they really should stop this. This is embarrassing. <laughs> I don't. Do they realize how much they're embarrassing themselves by? Giving such a false number. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know how embarrassing it is. Well, I, I well, I was making the joke of you know six thousand attendees versus the four million number, but you know a lot of people. I, I saw a lot of people's stories who basically said, uh, "I can pick one, either Dreamforce or Trailhead," meaning that their company will pay for one yeah. conference, mm-hmm. and of course they're going to pick Dreamforce whenever they can. Oh, see, I think a lot of people are. In, would rather go to Trailhead, especially. After well, I, this. I think I think the benefit of this and what I did, what I also heard stories of was that you know developers who normally wouldn't get to go to Dreamforce because they they did get approval to go to Trailhead because it's a developer conference, right? Not a Salesforce conference. Yeah, I mean it's it's I guess it's, in that way it's kind of a more serious thing. I, I'm not sure. I, don't know. I think some people view it. well like the remember the the Pegas CEO talking about how Dreamforce is. Make actually making it harder for everyone to get approval to conferences because they, they they see things like Dreamforce and it just seems like a giant you know party. No, well, it, it is for for some people. It's, I think that's why a ton of people want to go. Some, I mean, right? Some people, it's part of their compensation package. Yeah, like, they're like, okay, I'll 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 hire on with you, but I want to go to Dreamforce every year. Right. I've I've heard pe- people do that. Yeah. Well, it's basically your. I mean, I guess you could you could pitch it as your or justify it as your it's, uh, professional development. Yeah. I mean, I think most good employers. Want people to, uh, you know, keep their skills up to date and improve their skills. If not, probably in a dead end job. <laughs> I just don't know how much I can improve my skills on while <laughs> drink while drinking or imp- coming off of my whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know it, that real crowded environments. I don't learn really well, and I I, I look at these people. They got, they had all these uh, several areas where like they were the hands on areas, basically just mm-hmm. tables set up with. You know, power plugs and everything, and some of them were actually ha- like live, hands-on. So someone's there's actually an instructor with a big screen, but you're everyone's sitting there with the laptops up and they're doing this. I'm, I'm looking at this. So it's like hands-on training or just hands-on kind of yeah. seminar talk. Um, no, it's like it, you build something. Like, hey, okay, everyone, we're going to build a lightning component or whatever. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, but which I think is you know that's awesome because I think a lot of people that's how they learn. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't mean to <laughs> sound well, facetious when I say that, but for me, it doesn't sound fun because I, I prefer learning on my own, in my own time, in my own space, doing my own thing. And I've got major ADD, I think I've realized. I don't, and, and I also have crowdophobia. Is there a word for that? I mean, it's just so, these people are so packed in. Yeah. And they're, they're all, you know, down, heads down on their right. laptop. Isn't that um, claustrophobia? Could be. Technically. I, yeah, although I don't. I don't feel like I'm real claustrophobic. I got, you know, don't mind a small elevator. It really doesn't bother me. Crowds of people bother me. Yeah, they do bother me too. But I'm, I'm amazed. I'm like, wow, I can't believe you guys are actually able to do that, to sit there and do work. I, I couldn't at all. In someone, fact, someone told me a story yesterday of a video they saw, I think it was in China, and it was of this water park wave pool. And like everyone was like shoulder to shoulder in this wave pool. Like you would have, it looked like a sea of people, not a sea of water. Yeah. Ew. And like when the waves would move, everyone would move with it. That grosses me out. <laughs> so I just thought of that. I was like, yeah, sure. I definitely wouldn't be able to do that, but yeah, yeah you wouldn't either. Well, so what do you, maybe, what have you been working on? You used to tell me earlier, just a bunch of boring stuff, really. Yeah, a bunch of boring uh, stuff. Uninspiring I, things. <laughs> it has been. I've, I've been asking myself a lot of questions lately, and I'm not sure if it's just because I'm getting older or what, but I feel like I'm questioning everything I do a lot lately. Isn't there a DSM? Uh, Code for that when you, when you talk to yourself too much. Oh. The you know the DSM the side the psychological um, di- uh, diagnostic guide. I guess. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I, I try to figure out whether it, you know am I not getting challenged enough? I was like, no, there's still some challenging stuff I'm getting tossed. Is it? But I I, I guess I, I've worked in kind of a silo, kind of in doing my own thing by my own design a lot of times, and I think lately I've been kind of craving a larger project with a larger team but you know of course you know when i think about that team i think about a bunch of rock stars people that i can learn from people that when we sit and brainstorm i'm learning stuff and i'm able to contribute and, and we've got we we're doing stuff you know cuz there were times in my career where where i was in that environment where hell it was the, it was the three of us sitting in the valeris office and we're all kind of feeding off each other and giving each other ideas on stuff and i don't feel like i get a lot of that these days i feel like you know, I get a problem, I solve it in, in my silo. Sometimes I'll talk to you about it sometimes, but it's it's kind of more of when I run into an issue or or I'm questioning if I should name something something. You know, it's 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 not like this interaction. Um, so I feel like that's I feel like I'm craving something like that lately. Maybe you should try the co-working thing for a while. That's different though. That's that's just working in an environment with people. I'm not really yeah, you're not working it's on the not, same not project. To network. I'm, okay. I'm looking to kind of all of us contribute to build something that's right. you know that's 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 of scale. No, you have to have size. someone who knows how to hire right to build the right kind of team is step number one. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to be, to be able to work on a project where we all kind of agree on the tooling, we all kind of agree on the process. You know, whatever problems and challenges we have, I'm I'm fine with that being stressful and crazy, but. You know, that they, they're all working towards the same common goal and we all each have our strengths and our weaknesses and we're all playing off each other. I mean, that that that's the ideal environment, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. And right, having the oh, people, it's interesting. People with, you know, uh interesting and, and diverse experiences, but people who are experienced and have that kind of yeah. wisdom. Um and because right now I feel like I feel like everything I get is part of it's almost like a step by step, almost like a trailhead. Yeah. Well, <laughs> someone does this part, or uh, no, uh, a marathon. Is that a, is that what? Is, where, where, where do they pass the baton? Is that a marathon? No. What is that? Um. What is that called? I don't know. 
you know, like relay race. Relay race. Yeah. yeah, that's what I feel like. I feel like the products I've on recently have been more like relay races. Like someone grabs the baton, they do their part, and then they hand it off, and someone else does their part. Then I do my part, and then I hand it off, mm. and I feel like we're just in this long that relay sucks. race. Yeah, that's because that that's that's actually a, a, a not a good way to, to to divide labor. It just doesn't work well. It's like, I don't know. Oh, I don't think that was the intention. It just it, that's the way it ends up being. No, but it's like someone like, someone thinks that they know every object and field and, and things that are needed, so they they do their part. Takes them a couple of weeks, and they're like, oh, oh, I got all the config done. You can do your code now. And it's like <laughs> it doesn't work that way. There's no way up front that you can, you're going to get the objects and fields right. And that's why I, like, I either want to work completely by myself or I want to work on a team and we take a story and we build a story and someone helps with config or, well, you know. Well, be careful with that mentality because I think that's kind of what I did. I was like, well, I just want to work on this by myself then. I'm, I'm, I own this. Don't touch it. It's mine. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm kind of like in this depressed state like I don't, I'm tired of working by myself. <laughs> want some friends. Yeah. It's... So anyways, that, that kind of, I'll, I'll, that segues into this question we got from the community. This one's anonymous, um, and it kind of feeds into some of the things I'm feeling. So maybe maybe this helps me f- not feel so much alone. Uh, it's kind of long. There's two questions in here. I'll try to get through it pretty quickly if I can. Um, I'm going to start. After more than three decades in software development, I find myself able to retire in my mid-50s. I've worked in a variety of technologies over the years, with the last three to four concentrating on Salesforce development, Apex, VisualForce, uh, fairly large projects with Lightning components. Although I'm done with fighting traffic and meetings, I'm in no way done with programming. I can live with developers. Dr- uh, I can live the developer's dream, able to work where I want, when I want. Um, I'm gonna skip over this part. So my question is: I know that Salesforce supports nonprofits. I've looked at their cause page, and I'm wondering if going a Salesforce route would be satisfying and impactful. Do you know much about Salesforce's nonprofit efforts, and if there are causes that use unpaid part-time developers? Uh, so that's the first question. What? Okay, and that. Uh, I don't really have much information on the whole nonprofit thing. I've I've often thought of that too, especially when I started going independent. I thought I might be able to carve out some time to try to do some nonprofit work, but it turns out to be a little stickier than that. Um, most of the larger nonprofits, they're a business. Um, oh sure, they have really big requirements. It's not like yeah, nonprofit like, doesn't mean there's not a lot of money floating <laughs> yeah. around everywhere, and people you aren't know, making it, a lot of money. It's not like you would think like you'd go and volunteer an hour or two and and all that kind of stuff. They're pretty big, involved projects that require dedicated people to get stuff done. So they usually hire someone, usually at some kind of discounted rate and all that kind of stuff. They usually hire a team they can depend on because just like anything else, they need it done. They can't they can't just have someone just pop in and out. Exactly. Uh, it's 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 not like that. Yep. Um, so I, I, I know there's a lot of partners out there that will, that do a lot of nonprofit stuff. So you might, I'm guessing probably ping them and see if, you know, if they do some contract and you can subcontract to work on that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, I don't think it's like you would think like volunteering for like your local community thing where you can just kind of pop in for a few hours or offer, you know, a certain amount of time a week. It, it, these, these projects, they're, they're a business and they get run like it. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's the full range of of nonprofits. Yeah, you, you know, you've got kind of little ones. There's medium. There's huge, and it, I guess it depends on how committed you want to be, right? I mean, yeah. but uh, I think it would help to. I, I would I would contact someone at the foundation and try to just open some communication channels there because they will probably you know if you're interested in in donating some of your time and skills, I mean, that, I think they could would definitely be able to hook you up with people. We also have. You know, people in the Good Day Store community that w- number one work in in nonprofits, but also work for the foundation. So, if you want to reach out to us, um, preferably on the Slack mm-hmm. uh, or just info at gooddaystorepodcast dot com, 
and uh, I can I can I could forward your information to a couple of people and have someone contact you. I think. But or just join yeah. the Slack and ask around. Right. That's yeah, because yeah, they're in. I mean, these people that I'm thinking of are in the Slack. So. All right. Second part of the question. Uh, another consideration is like you, which I'm, I'm not sure if this is me or you. He's referring to. I have my share of frustrations with Salesforce develop, development experience. I wonder if I'd be more fulfilled working in environments such as Node and React, where I have more control over the stack, or if some of the recent changes, such as Einstein, Wave, and Lightning, would make for more uh, make for a satisfying and impactful experience. Uh, let me sum up this question: If you found yourself in the same situation where you could develop in whatever you want, would you stick with Salesforce or move on? Oh, it's such a can of worms. Now, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so so would it, it work on whatever you want? Would that mean you don't you don't need money? Like you're just independently wealthy and you could work on whatever you want? Type of question. I think it means or, like if you could you know have a, a sufficient career mm-hmm. on any any platform. Which one would you pick? Would it be Salesforce? Would it be you know the Microsoft ecosystem? You know Node or whatever. I mean, I, the, the thing that, you know, Salesforce is becoming this highly curated, highly engineered ecosystem of customers, partners, and all of us trailblazers. You know, we're all, we're, everyone's quantified and categorized. You all have a partner score and reviews and ratings, and you've got your number of badges and your number and which certifications, right? It's all, it's all highly engineered now. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this flow of business, you know, and there's, it's like, um, I don't know, I feel like it's getting commoditized is, is kind of the end result of all this. Right. But you can come in and get your badges, you know, and then you can, you can sorry, I had to, I had to resurrect the soundboard. You can get your badges and, and, uh, you know, jump into this, into this, uh, weird game of, uh, Double Dutch, you know, jump rope. Where, uh, whereas, you know, something like look, at, uh, he, I think they mentioned the Node community. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there. I mean, there's not some giant corporation that's running that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the without really getting into how that the actual, you know, the stack, the technology stack compares to Salesforce's, um, it doesn't have that. I mean, I don't. There's not, you know, a an array of certifications you can get mm-hmm. right i mean there's no you know there's not a a, a you know a 30 million 30 million dollar a year you know node certified developer program or sorry partner program with all these partners that have this this constant stream of hiring and stuff so it's it depends on what your goals are i guess um well, yeah i think i think that, did goal? that make any sense where was i just rambling do you, can I, I, you I think there was some wisdom in the rambling okay um <laughs> but I think, I think there's too much focus when it comes to, and I've been asking myself these same questions as well, and that's why I thought this was kind of relevant to my train of thought. Which is, I wonder if I'm focusing too much on the technology that I'm using and not so much what I'm actually doing, you know. And that's why I came to this concept of what I really want is to work on a team with really great people and interact and talk and spend time with really smart people. Because uh, I think that would be more rewarding than me focusing so much on the technology I'm using, focus so much on the tooling and and Apex or, or you know, the grass is greener on the other side, staring at the React guys going, oh, I, I wish I had your job, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. I think that's focused too much on the technology and less about, uh, because that that's a very 
personal thing. Like I enjoy using this tool. That's, that's my enjoyment. Is that, is that your goal? Cause it seems like with the earlier question with the nonprofit, it seems like you're looking for something more satisfying, emotionally satisfying <clears throat> at a larger degree than just, I'm happy typing on the keyboard. You know, there's something more emotional there. Yeah. And I don't think you're going to get that kind of emotional satisfaction from the tool you're using. I think more so it's the output of what, what that tool provides. You know, if, if, you know, I took this tool and, and it enabled this, you know, nonprofit to, to help more people or help them organize so they can help more people or, you know, not lose track of people who, who may need help or, you know, those kind of things. I, I, I think the technology is less of a question than it is who you can help. I wish I could say that, but I don't think I honestly can. Um, <laughs> I wish how I got things done and the fun I have making things didn't matter and only like the end result, how much money I made or how much I helped someone or whatever. But the truth is for me, I think for most people, if they're being honest, it all matters. I mean, uh, a lot of people, not everyone obviously, but a lot of people actually enjoy what they do and they kind of got into what they do because they like doing that and just, you know, and if, they, and if you can, if, they, if that can pay the bills, keep the lights on, then hey, even better, right? Yeah, but I mean, there's something about, so not being done with programming says that I want to keep developing. And then, yeah, if I was to retire right now, I'd probably still read a bunch of technology stuff. I'd still have a computer. I'd still, I'd still tinker and play away and program stuff. And but you, it would st- you still buy every Apple product that I'd still buy release. every Apple product. I'd, uh, I'd probably spend more money, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> than I do now. Um, but I would continue to do it for myself. You know, just like someone who whittles away in right. a workshop, wood workshop, you know, they retired, they, they set up this wood shop, and then now they're making cabinets for themselves, or they're making yeah. tools for themselves. Um, they're not selling it. And this is precisely why the technology that you do use matters, because you do these things because you like them. I mean, there's, and there's technologies you're going to like more than others. So if, if part of this is you do it because you like it, then, you know, there's an argument there for um, using, you know, it, it makes sense to, to go with this with the technology stack that you like the most, that you are either the most productive with or that you enjoy the most or is the most pleasant or, you know, you can write the most beautiful code or whatever it is you're into, whatever makes you Yeah, I think so. I think think there's some value in that. I think think whatever you do end up deciding to do to, because obviously I I think this sounds like they still want to contribute to something. It's it's less about I want to go through the motions because I enjoy the motions. I enjoy sitting here programming. But no, you want other people to experience that. You want other people to share in that. Um, well, we're, and then we're kind of mixing the two. Are this from the same person? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they had two different questions. One was like, you know, if you could pick any stack and... Yeah, because it's all part of the same story. It's all part of, you know, I'm retiring. I still want to program. I don't really have to work, but, you know, I don't want to not do stuff. I don't want to sit around. My hobby is programming, basically, is what I'm getting. And, you know, I thought about nonprofit, you know, going to, to work with some nonprofits, and I've thought about, you know, what technology should I be using? Should I still stick with Salesforce? Should I, should I, you know, try, try oh. going the React route and all that kind of stuff? I, I felt like they weren't asking what they should do on that. They were asking what we, if we, I think, I think he was asking, he or she was asking both of us. Yeah, but if, in that train of thought, th- okay. these are my thoughts that, you know, okay. for me, I wouldn't focus so much on the technology. I would focus on, oh. if, if I'm looking for that larger emotional investment of interacting and sharing what I produce with other people, then I wouldn't worry so much about the technology. I would worry about what they need. Oh, sure. If they need to be able to track people or they need to be able to, to 
track inventory to get food to, people. to people who need who need track it. their human resources. <laughs> you know, I would I would on focus their on what they need and then figure out how I can help them get that. Whether yeah. that's Salesforce or WordPress or or whatever, React, something entirely custom. That would be my approach to that. However, if it's just for me and I just want to sit and program and whittle away, I don't know that I would care. I would try React. I would try to build something with React, and then I might try to say, okay, I'm going to try to take that exact build and build it in Angular. And then I'm going to take and try to use Vue, or I'm going to just do all native JS and see if I can do that. No, um, Vue, that was so last month, John. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so behind. <laughs> well, uh, you know, and the thing about the thing about Salesforce, right? I mean, I, and I think people troll us a little bit on this. They're trying to, they're trying, I feel like I'm being personally <laughs> trolled here. Um, I'll just say that, you know, I think when you, if you want to talk about the value of Salesforce and how good of a platform it is, I mean, you have to look at the whole, the whole platform, the whole ball of wax, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, and let's not forget like what, what us old timers call, think of Salesforce is, you know, the original Salesforce platform that they then, you know, expose, you know, triggers and apex and some visual force, right? That's the platform to me, um, and so and 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 so at its heart, I mean, Salesforce is a makes a really highly customizable CRM, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it valuable for my for any of my clients for me to build them some custom CRM from scratch that does exactly all these things they want to do? Probably not. I can never. I mean, it always makes a little more sense to oh, you mean you want to you know sell to people and do your opportunities and service and whatever. Well, Salesforce makes a ton of sense and we can really customize the crap out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I just happen to have these Salesforce you know, yeah. developer skills and so that makes sense. Um, you know, if if it is some ground up software development project or whatever, or, you know, something with a front end and, and a back end database, am I, am I going to choose the force.com platform or, or database.com, which no one in, ever chose? No, probably not because no one ever accused Salesforce of having the best developer technology in the world. Like no one ever. It doesn't. Salesforce. And it's not. It's not going to, huh? Salesforce says that about themselves. No, maybe so. <laughs> um. So, I mean, I don't know. I think we all know that. It's. <laughs> but I don't think you're being trolled. I think it was a genuine question. Yeah. However, that I'm gonna I'm gonna segue out of this into my questions, which is the question I've been asking myself is: Is there going to be meaningful work for me in the future? And I was asking you this earlier. Yeah, that's a, that was I, a good question. Because I, I look at the landscape of things, because I'm also having this kind of mental nope. breakdown of, mm. you know, because I'm kind of depressed. I'll tell you. I, oh, I, you know, on. I'm going to have to crack the DSM open. We, we've got all kinds uh, of issues here that we're going to have to diagnose, John. I'm, I'm depressed. So. Yeah, I think you need to move over to the couch. Kind of sit down, put your feet up, <laughs> get go. some whiskey. There we go. I got Whiskey's tissues. back. We got, we, got t- we got a box of tissues here in case this real, gets really intense. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Good. All right. That, All right. So, set <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Set set the stage for us here, <laughs> so, John. So, well, because I, I, not only am I thinking about you know how happy I am in doing what I'm doing, the the type of project work that I'm doing. Yeah, and when and, you say how happy, do you mean have happy or not happy, or somewhere in between, or are you saying? Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I I have a great home life. I love my family. I'm not look. It's not like I'm depressed in all areas of my life. I'm just kind of depressed depressed person or professionally, where I'm not kind of I'm. I'm not doing bad for myself. I'm doing pretty good. And I should be, for all intents and purposes, really happy with with what I'm doing these days. But it's not fulfilling me in a way that I would like, that I feel like I could if I just either tried a little bit harder or made some kind of risky change. Um, so, But either way, that's what's going on in my head. Uh, and of course, I come back to Salesforce. I'm like, well, what is it? If I stuck with Salesforce and I kept doing the Salesforce thing, um, you know, what do I what do I focus on? What do I do? I, 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 and what I was saying earlier is that flows are going to get better. 
process builder is going to get better. And that could cover a vast amount of business logic. And you should, if those tools get to the point where they're really good, that's where it should be because it's configurable. You don't have mm. to have me open up the code. I know you can't test it and all that kind of stuff, but it's yeah. really configurable. And I, I, it comes back to right tool for the job. And so I think sometimes it is the right tool for know, the job, but, but I think I, a lot of times it's, it's like, never going to be the right tool. You're always going to have... There will be, and I'll get to that. Okay. And I'll just say that it, it's going to get better. And for, for a lot of what the clients ask me to do, it should and could be done there, I mean, I'm barring the, the, the current mm-hmm. issues, because of bugs and all that kind of okay, that are, well, let me, are happening with it. Let me it. just interject for just a second to say, I, I'm starting a project where I've been hired to undo all of the process builder and flow stuff and redo and triggers and and uh, in other areas because it just becomes unmanageable. Mm-hmm. When you start when they started out, they didn't see this coming, right? They, they process builders and flows were easy and they just needed a couple things done. And then a couple weeks later they need a couple more things done. A couple weeks later they need a couple more things done. And it just it's not you know, process builder and flow, you can't manage them like you can um like Apex code. And I know people have horrible experiences with Apex code too, right? They've had, there's a, you know, tons of crappy developers out there that are spewing out loads of crappy code. I mean, it's, right? So I get mm-hmm. that. I know people who have been, I mean, we, I think we've all seen that. We've all seen these, I mean, we half of the work I do is fixing disasters, whether it's drag and drop disasters or whether it's coding disasters. Sure. Um, right now, I just happen to be fixing a, a drag and drop disaster and... You know, we're move, largely moving away from process building flows. Not because they're, I mean, not because they're not good tools for something. It's just that at some scale, it's it's actually, they're less good at managing the logic, the literally like the flow. The I mean, you thought that that understanding how, you know, triggers and workflow and process builders and flows, are, you know, I mean, the, the way that those things all interact now is mm-hmm. even the smartest software developers I know in, in this space, it like it breaks their brain. You know, it's it's very, you know, when you can you can, I mean, create these, you know, hellacious rat's nests of of uh ev- you know triggers and things. Mm-hmm. I'm using trigger in a kind of a generic term. Um and it just and also on top of that, you know, and maybe this will get better too. I hope it does, but just they don't these things don't play well when when you're when you do get bigger and you're doing, you know, full deployments and everything, there's a lot of issues with how they work in metadata and just bugs around them, logging around them. And, and like you said, that stuff, it, these will get better and they do. They, yeah. In fact, I'm, I think the messages you get on when flows fail now is, in summer is like a little bit better or whatever. But there's just still ton. I mean, it's just not where, you know, as... <laughs> <laughs> even though Apex is what it is, it's still, in a lot of scenarios, it is the better tool. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just makes sense to, okay, well, it's the sunk, also it's the sunk cost fallacy. It's like, yeah, we've done all this work in process building flow, so we don't want to throw that away, right? And like, well, sunk cost fallacy. Like, you've already spent that. Yeah. I mean, assuming you were starting today, at, you know, baseline zero, would it make sense to keep all those or rebuild those in Apex or something else? And that's the question you kind of have to ask yourself. It depends on your business too, and what your long term and short term goals are. But anyway, yeah, and no. I have I have some thoughts on that. But I didn't. I that was a way deeper rabbit hole. Than I, <laughs> I apologize. But the the so take these more as assumptions than than facts. These are these are kind of my predictions and my assumptions. Well, so again, okay, just to and, pick back up on your topic, you were you're basically saying that you know there's so much of the work I do now could be. I'm so, yeah, and I, I guess if I look at the trend of things and I, over time and I look and see, you know, if these tools get better and if they scale well and they get to the point where they need to be and where they should be, it makes more sense to make sure that 
if you can do something in that tooling to do it, because my 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 philosophy has always been if you can do it declaratively, do it first, and then let's customize it. You know, let's let's not. There's so many logical fallacies built into that statement. Well, okay. that's just not but, true. But that, let, let's just follow my train of thought okay. so I can get through this. So I'm assuming that pro, pro flow and process builder is going to get better. Uh, I'm assuming that that lightning because you can customize the layout, you can you can embed components without having to override entire pages. You can add new functionality very easily. Uh, the layout mechanism is much better, uh, sometimes to a detriment. Um, it, there's not going to be a lot a lot of work for a huge UI build out or layouts because even even community is getting lightning with the builder and that's getting much richer and able to drag and drop things where you want. Um, and then, and then after that, I'm like, well, the only thing that's really left that Salesforce really can't f- code me out of is data integration. Uh, I think there's going to be a gold rush for data integration with as they try to attack verticals, and those verticals have have these legacy of data systems that they want to interact with. People are going to not everyone's going to be able to afford the Informaticas. There's going to be people who are going to be writing data integrations either fully custom or even just. One one off tool sets that'll interact with a very legacy should, proprietary system. Should talk to Chuck about his his thing. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think that's where the next gold rush is is going to be. Given that you know, I think more of the logic will will be declarative, uh, more of the layout and UI stuff will will be done with Lightning, and and so there's going to be less of these massive build out projects where I'm going to be really knee deep in building a fully custom application within Salesforce. Um. And you know, yes, there's always going to be some some automation stuff. There's going to be things that Flow and Process Builder can't do, and that'll be code, or there'll be hybrid models where maybe Process is calling code, or code is calling a Flow, or something like that. So that that'll all exist, but I, I don't see that as being something large scale. I feel like those are a lot of one offs where someone's going to be like, "Oh, we have this thing. Let me bring in a developer to code that part. It's five hours worth of work, and then he moves on." You know, and so that's where my head is at. You know, is there going to be a future for me? Hmm. You know. Other than I mean, building data integrations. So, and it's funny you, you call the data integration like the next gold rush. I feel like that's the oldest gold rush ever. That, that, it's one that, that doesn't go away. It, no, it doesn't. I, went and I, think, I, was, I think that's what uh, Chuck and I were talking about too. It's like this, this just this problem that it's always been a massive IT problem. And I, I just saw it was like a Gartner thing. And then, you know, it's still like the number two category that, that CIOs expect to spend the most money on is integration. Yeah. So yeah, that problem's always going to be there. But it's, God, that space is, it's also... It, so, com- I don't want to say commercialized because that's obvious. It's you know, there's just these few players that are putting just so much money into it. I mean, whether it's like what's the Dell one and Informatica, Boomy, Informatica. and um, and huge, you know, so much talent. VC money. Well, so much uh, yeah, talent and so much VC money behind like uh, MuleSoft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, MuleSoft it's, and and so it's like and and what do you? I mean, I I I'd struggle with with. I mean, advice to my clients with these things. So it's like, well, I mean, there's there's benefits to those platforms, but there's also it's like an ongoing cost, ongoing licensing, and and they still also require either you to have someone with that skill set, mm-hmm. and it's a by the way, it's a proprietary system, right? That you don't control. Um, and so you know, and it's again, it's on like I said, ongoing cost, and it's 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 not without its own, it's it's a ball and chain too. Mm-hmm. Right, integration just is whether it's some you know homegrown thing or some a custom built one you had someone do for you, or or you've you know you're on one of these integration platforms. It's just it's an ongoing pain in the ass that will continue to cost you money. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. That there will always be money in in, in, in integrations, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm not so sure I have the stomach for integrations. To be honest, uh, oh, I, I have I learned I have lot. Well, I've learned and forgotten so many proprietary formats. It's not funny. 
Yeah, oh yeah, like just the database structures yeah. and stuff. Yeah, database structure, schema. I mean, even just the format itself. You know, just you know, this is this is a pipe, and it's ten, and then a pipe, and then the next one is twenty and a comma, and then ten, and then I mean, there's yeah. weird oh, formats out yeah. there. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know if I have the mental capacity or willpower to sit and learn a proprietary system for the pure sake of being able to get data in and out of it. Yeah. And 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 we we think. We, we get frustrated with trying to get our code into Salesforce, you know, and deal with all the nuances of that, you know, the, the, it's a nice way of saying bugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, there are things like, like refactoring where if you change something, your other class gets out of sync and it won't save. And then you have to like, I've had situations where I have to comment out my entire class to get something else to save and then comment it back in so I can get it to save. Cause there was yeah. some kind of like recursive dependency that was just, wouldn't let it resolve. Oh, we're not supposed to care about managing dependencies, John. <laughs> you, don't you don't you worry about dependencies? Just put everything in one class, and you know everything can reference everything. No problem there. So, anyways, I mean, happy soup. That's frustrating. But now, now multiply that by a hundred different database formats of systems that sometimes have an API, sometimes do not. Sometimes you have direct access to the data, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have a report. Well, sometimes you have a terminal screen reader that's that's chunking data to a text file somewhere that you have to parse. So these these are these integrations are valuable things to the business. They and are. You, and you can make good money do, do doing them. Mm-hmm. So don't I mean that does that don't those scratch those two itches for you? I think I think and this is where where the emotion comes in. Do am, am I okay with just making money or do I want to be emotionally satisfied while I make money? What what do you mean emotionally like I said you are I mean delivering huge value to these companies that that need this type of integration so Yeah but it's not work it, it's work that I used to enjoy I used to enjoy that I loved I love data integration So now we're back I love I love data migrations and I love data integration so much that I raised my hand for every single one yeah. and I burnt myself out yeah. on them So now but now we're back to the topic of do you enjoy the technology you're working with are you working with good technology that makes you happy that's fun to use you know that's like it's modern and the tooling is nice and it's fast and it's you know you've got all these you know you know, I don't, I don't dislike Salesforce. I, I thought about this too when I was thinking. I, I was, I was thinking about like all the things we have to deal with, the limits and all that kind of stuff. And to a certain dis- extent, I do dislike it. I wish I could just loop through this data set, and it would be so easy if I didn't have to worry about how many queries I was doing. Um, but at the same time, the limits do challenge me to be a little more efficient. They do challenge me to think of things in a different way. And I've come up with all these new ideas and algorithms that I never would have before because that limit wasn't there in other environments. I just, I would brute force yeah. it. I would loop a million times. No problem. Well, I can't loop a million times yeah. here. Um, so I th- it's made me a better developer. The de- better developer. I mean, I think the limits have. I think the limits have made us all better developers. It's mm. it's challenged us. Depends on where you started from, I guess. I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. And, and it's also, it's one of those things that's like, okay, so uh, your task is, I mean, your vendor's going to give you this much of their stack that you can actually use. Figure out how to get your code to operate in that little piece of but a that's stack. that's the way it used to be. It used to, I mean, you remember database? I mean, the reason you had database field names that were like A, B, C, or, or D, E, they were coded because you couldn't, you couldn't store no. a long field name. And, and you, your columns had to fit within a certain size. Or you had to fit your program into a certain amount of memory. But I mean, you, those were all challenges right. that that, ev- that we that we programmers used to have to deal with that we don't deal with anymore. And you should have and unlimited you amounts of memory, and you shouldn't have to. Well, <laughs> unless you're on a platform that doesn't scale, it limits. Well, right. <laughs> I mean, we you know what the saying is about premature optimization, right? 
premature optimization. Well, no, I'm not talking about optimizing. It's, I'm just trying to. No, I'm just talking but, about building. But how, a program but how do you that, work with Salesforce? You prematurely optimize every bit of code you write. Right? You're considered a bad developer if you don't. I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Whatever. I don't so know. Let's, I, I, but let's get back to your topic, though. You know, which is. What, well, the question is, is, is there meaningful work? I mean, I, I, I guess, well, do let, you, do let you me, agree that, that, that in the future, my, my bread and butter is probably going to be data migrations and data integrations? So do you, do you foresee in the, you know, re, let's say in the next five years mm-hmm. that people are going to be able to build schedule generators in, in business, in, in what's it called? Process builder. That they'll be able to build... Um, Complicated resource alg- uh, resource scheduling and allocation algorithms in in flow. What I'm that's probably another note on here that I should have mentioned that I didn't, which is on my mind is that for a lot of these these more complex stuff, there's there's a product for it, and they probably should be buying it versus custom building it. Could could be, but maybe you're the one to build that thing. Well, that's maybe, that's you know. the alternative. Is do I do I go out and build, start building my own product? Do I say okay, I'm going to build this? This uh, resource scheduler. <laughs> yeah. I just want to stick it in resource in there. Yeah. And by resource, I mean people. Uh, <laughs> Son of a bitch. This people scheduler. <laughs> I call it the people mover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I want to go out there and do that. Yeah, right. Do I do that? But I'm and saying. Do I build it native Salesforce? Do I build it React and canvas it in or whatever the technology is? iframe it in or lightning it in? I don't know. So I think my point is, yes, there are, there are going to be more and more things that you can build by dragging and dropping in some lightning components but in between um you know with all the i think the probably the lightning component marketplace i assume is going to you know continue to flourish probably more mm-hmm. um and there's going to be just a lot of things you can do just by you know buying or whatever and or some and it just you know arranging some lightning components and some things with flows but i mean you, you don't want to build you don't want to build big things that are complex in fact you just can't by dragging and dropping out of the box little doohickeys and and some flows. There's just things you can't do. A lot of things you can't do. You I, I mean, I agree, but I, th- I think for, for those Well, that's bigger, the kind of work that we do, isn't it? That's the kind of work that I do for the most. I'm not doing integration, so well, I'm, I'm doing just, an integration I mean, right you, now. But. You listen to what, what Benioff says, and I know he's trying to say it in a way to make it sound like, you know, there's going to be a job. We're going to create $4 billion, four, $4 billion, was it $4 billion or $4 billion jobs? Oh no! Well, I think he's speaking out of two sides of his mouth here. Well, no, just just what 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 does he meant when he says the four billion number? Four billion? Yeah, is it four billion? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it's something about four billion jobs or something. This it was the whole Trump thing. Remember when he met up with Trump and? Well, his moonshot, John. Yeah, his moonshot. What's his moonshot? Uh, it's, is it like f- some number of uh, apprentices, apprenticeships? So well, here's the here's the, this is why he's talking about both sides of his mouth. Why do we need a bunch of apprenticeships? And it's because we're going to have to retrain people because so many people are going to lose their jobs because of AI and machine learning. Mm. I mean, it's not going to be. We're we're going to see in our lifetime the the end of truck uh, a truck driver as an you know. And I mean, I'm just using that example. There will be no one driving trucks anymore. There will be no one driving cars anymore, other than by choice if you want to, right? But I mean, it will be. You'll be able to get a thirty five thousand dollar car that drives itself. That, that might actually be cool. <laughs> I know it will be cool. I'm just saying, but, you know, <laughs> there, there go all the truck drivers. That's a huge industry. There are yeah. tons of people that drive trucks for a living. But that's yeah. just, and that's just one example. I mean, just humans doing jobs, there's just, 
so many just categories of employment that are going to be completely wiped out. So what do you do with these people? Well, it's either you do this basic income or what's it called? Universal basic income or whatever. It's basic income, yeah. Or you try to, you know, retrain people and you apprentice them into some other line of work. Well, either way, I mean, I wasn't trying to get into that discussion, but... But all these all these companies that are supposedly doing AI are talking about this because they don't want to be they don't want to be the bad guys the peop, the guys that were uh, you know involved in ruining all these jobs and we know Benioff he's the pro at getting it way out in front of these issues and insulating himself from criticism. Well, I I I think as new technology comes out and because there's a lot of misunderstanding about what that technology is, especially when they branded AI, which it's not. No. <laughs> Um, it scares people because they don't understand it. They they hear AI and they think it's this this autonomous self aware machine that can basically do what you do. Um, and are self driving cars is that is that artificial intelligence? No, I don't think it is either. It's not. Um, I mean, it's awesome. It's basically it's like a virtual rails <laughs> uh, type of situation. Yeah. You got GPS involved, and it's 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 looking at the lines of the road and it's creating this virtual rail that it sticks on. And then it's got these sensors that try to detect collisions and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's 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 not really thinking. Right. It's kind of just yeah. these algorithms that put it in a box and try to keep that box from being <laughs> intercepted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which does take a lot of compute power. I mean, it's it's it it's it's expensive. Yeah, it's expensive computing power. But um, I, I think that's more so because people are afraid of it. They are afraid of the coming age of AI, where where everything's going to be done by robots and we're not going to have jobs. And I don't think we're so much there. I don't think that's, I think that's way off in the way, way future. I don't think we're anywhere near that yet, Mm. at least personally. So my fears don't come from computers doing what I do. My fear just comes from, is Salesforce kind of reaching that critical mass to where there's going to be less interesting things for me to do? Not that there's going to be nothing for me to do, just that there's going to be less interesting things for me to do. And in an ecosystem of 4 million developers or 4 billion developers, how do I compete to get those interesting things? There's only like 6 billion people on the planet, right? 7 billion. So <laughs> I don't think there's going to be 4 billion developers. Although, who knows? Either way, you know what I mean. Every, everyone needs to code nowadays, right? Everyone should code. You know, how do I compete with those? Do I want to compete with, with everyone trying to find those interesting projects, which are going to be infinitely smaller as time moves on? I think I want to become a yoga instructor. It seems like everyone's getting into yoga. Or, no, a mindfulness coach. That's what I want to be. Could be a monk. I in the in our in the kitchen down here mm-hmm. on the wall is a, a pamphlet for there's a new mindfulness set of, a series of classes it's like eight weeks and it costs like six hundred bucks to take it. I'm like damn, I think I'm going to become a mindfulness coach. Like for one class? Yeah. Wow. Per person. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you being a very mindful <laughs> person, but I see the thing is, John. I I think that there's always going to be hard problems that need to be solved. Simple problems, yes, will get eaten up by draggy droppy. Right, but the hard problems with lots of you know just lots of logic and algorithms and and also that need to be maybe there's something that has a significant UI component and it and it needs to have a great UX or maybe it's something that needs to have incredibly low latency and create requires all kinds of creativity to figure out how to you know make this happen. That, you can't do that stuff in in process builder and flow. Or by dragging and dropping lightning about you'll never, we never will be able to. There's always going to be that that work that it crosses that line into okay, you can't do this with drag and drop tools anymore. This right. is this requires just the nature of the problem is so complex that it takes someone who 
Not necessarily. It's not about whether you know the syntax of Apex or the the meta the meta model of of a process builder. Mm-hmm. That that's easy. Yeah. The hard part is breaking down and factoring problems, or you know, breaking down problems and factoring them into solutions that are complex but work together in an elegant enough way that solves the problem within the constraints of the system that you're on. That's hard work. It has nothing to do with, like I said, you know, you knowing some syntax or, you know, someone can learn the syntax of Apex in a week. That's not, that's not the hard part. And I just think those, that so, whole class of hard problems is not going away. And, and although if you look at the pie, the, per, the percentage of the pie that's that type of problem it may be shrinking a little bit, which I think is even arguable. The mm-hmm. whole pie is growing so fast that like, I just don't think that's a problem. I think if you want to stay in the, in the Salesforce space and continue to solve hard problems, you'll be able to do that. There's going to be the demand for that. I'm thinking. Okay. Because you, you actually did resonate with me. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think I'm looking at the situation wrong. I need to... I need to turn my head upside down <laughs> you and turn, frown. Turn my head upside down and frown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm um, gonna have to use that on my kids. Hey, if you because I'm I'm focused on on I'm focused on the tooling. I'm focused on you know what flow is going to take away from me. I'm focused on what lightning is going to take away from me. I'm focused on what I think is left. The crumbs. What well, I what I call crumbs are the data integrations. Which honestly, I think yes it's a big it's a big thing and and it's it's always going to be there, but I also think there's like a million people who can do what I do in terms of data integration. It's not hard to move data from one spot to another um once you have access to it and you establish access to it and you establish a contract for access to it, eh, it's just moving bits back and forth, yeah one way or another yeah. it's not hard um but I, you're right i i think I think I should be focusing more on what type of problems I can solve and should be solving and market myself that way right that that's um yeah, thank you. I'll think about that some more. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I have a question that I want to make sure we get to because it came in right before we started. Uh, and it was from, I can make sure I can use her name. Okay. So it's from uh, Brett Nelson. And he says, sorry for the lip smack there. Did it come in on the email? I didn't see it. No, he uh, DM'd uh, me or whatever. Oh, he DMs you. I see. Doesn't DM I, I asked him to... Yeah, because he he asked if I wanted to email, and I'm like, it's too late for. I already have email closed. That's right. I can see you're his favorite. All right. Um, he says, "Oh, I I know you have said you are not doing the podcast for money, but was there plans for a like Patreon or some alternative if we wanted to help offset the cost you cover or reciprocate the value we feel you add to the community?" And we, I feel like we get this question, you know, every once in a while because mm-hmm. I think people do want to. I don't know. Just like I think they recognize that we we put some you know quite a bit of time and and money into this, and they're just like, hey, I want to just like buy you a beer. I want to buy you a beer, but you don't live in my city, so I can't buy you a beer. So what can I do? You know <laughs> that kind of thing. And you know, I, I keep I always think about it because I let's listen to a podcast, and I'm always, I'm fascinated with business models anyway. So I'm always thinking about how could we accept sponsorship. I mean, is there some way to have to be something that's not related to what we talk about? Mm-hmm. Because then we just can't. It, there goes that whole topic. And everything related to that topic, and all the players in that topic, and I'm like, okay, that would not work. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, maybe you know, what if Casper wanted us to sell mattresses, or someone wanted us to sell blue jeans? It has nothing to do with what we talk about. And I thought, well, okay, maybe maybe that would work because we don't talk about that stuff, so we don't have to worry about being we don't have to worry about watching what we say. Which right. that's my problem that we would ruin the podcast. 
it would ruin my, at least, especially my, if nothing else, my enjoyment of doing it. I always having to like self-censor. I already have self-censor enough. You know, I don't need that. I don't need more of that. Um, but then I thought, well, I mean, the problem is, is where, although we've got, I think, a decent size uh, audience for this podcast, it's small enough that it's not, uh, it's not mass appeal enough. I mean, most of those bigger brands want, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100,000 downloads per episode, and we're just not quite there yet. Yes. But I, but I, there are sponsors or companies who would, would like to sponsor, I think would like to sponsor this show because it's, it is the perfect audience, right? They're in this space. You know, they want you to know about their integration tool or their mm. whatever Salesforce doohickey they, they make, right? Um, and that would, that's the kind of advertiser that would work, but that's the exact kind of advertiser we can't have. And so I just think that that model would never work. Because then I couldn't use words like Informatica of the world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, the other model, okay, so that leaves us with like selling merchandise, t-shirts and stuff, which I think might make sense. I mean, why, you know? I thought about it. It might make things easier. I mean, it would kind of solve two birds with one stone. People could get merchandise more reliably. I mean, I'm still, like, by the way, whoever wanted XLs from Austin, I think I lost your names again. So please contact me. <laughs> there, was a, there were a few oh, guys. So I know. You took I'm, it off my uh, hands no, and you're no. doing just as bad as I was. Um, Maybe we should, like, like recruit. And, like, and also, just in general, if you're, if you feel like, you know, if you're, I'll, I'll we'll use the, this is going to be the, the honest game. The, it's the honor program. Is that what it's called? Honor program. Mm hmm. You're a you know a member in good standing of this community, and you want a shirt? Let us know because we actually do have a lot of shirts, and I would like to send some of these out. Yeah. Um, the shirts aren't ex- super expensive. For, I mean, it, when you when you do a hundred of them at a time, it's kind of or more than that. It kind of it, it's kind of well, you you buy a lot and you have to hedge the sizes because you're always like, that too. do I need right. how many as larges, extra larges, how many of and the, and then. This time we changed the fabric of the shirt, so they actually fit a little bit smaller. So, so it's not I, the fabric; it's just the cut. It's a different the brand, cut. so the yeah. cut's a little so bit the different. The cut's different, yeah. so it actually it's a little bit smaller. So now our numbers are skewed because now we're doing more of like the extra larges. Yep. Than we thought. Yeah, I wear I wear an extra large in our in our current shirt. I'm not sure if that's because of the cut or because of me, but uh, I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> it's all those damn brewery chores. You I doing. know it is <laughs> drinking too much beer. Um, Brew pub, but <clears throat> you know so. Selling merchandise would solve both those problems. People could get our stuff and get it more reliably because we're we'd probably just like I don't know. I think we could set something up that ships when they yeah. order something, and it also solves the problem of them being able to con- uh, just contribute back a little bit, like help us offset. I mean, I don't think we'll ever offset, <laughs> you know, just the whatever. But I mean, you know, it'd be nice to some helps. Something would help. They might buy a beer, or there's just the Patreon thing, which is more simple. Just yeah. like, hey, you want to tip? Basically, tip us or you know just buy us a beer. Buy us a case of beer, you know that would be an easy thing, an easy way to do. So I don't know. I th- I think about that sometimes. What do you think of a Patreon? I also hate begging for money. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. So anyway, to answer the question, we've thought about it. I don't know. We've thought about it. We haven't been able to right. make any kind of decision on it. But I I I appreciate that people are asking and and that are. Willing to, I do too. To I just, I just, and I have, and I think you have too. I mean, I've given money to to other podcasts via Patreon, yeah. but also uh, the podcasts that just have a PayPal that you PayPal to. I've done, I've done this, and because I appreciate them, and I have a, I have um, what's it like empathy or whatever for how much time. It's not just the money, like the direct money we've spent, and if you consider the studio, 
Yeah. It's a lot. But just the time. And I was listening to, um, there's this actually new kind of cool brewery podcast called Brewlosophy. And it's this. It's a couple of guys that do actually all these brewing experiments that's, that's really cool. But I, his latest episode, they were talking about how um, he was so surprised we started the podcast of how much time it takes. So for so to do a one-hour podcast, he said it takes him about, after the recording's done, so it doesn't count any of the prep. You know, it takes him four to five hours to get all the editing right. And well, that was I, that was us, if not longer. Yeah, and he started. does, and he they, he does ads, which is, you know, I, I don't begrudge people for wanting to make money, but um, it's, it's all about the stuff he talks about. And so, you know, when he's talking about, oh, I love this work chiller I use, I'm like, I want to believe you so bad, but they're your sponsor, and I can't believe you. I just, <laughs> it's an ad, you know, and I and I should, as any as any uh, good participant in a capitalist, you know, society, like you you should know that you it's an ad, mm-hmm. and. He's getting paid to say that, so I don't know. But just the time, yeah, four or five hours to because I think he, you know, he edits in his ads. He's got you know bumper music between the ads and stuff, and it just it's it's a lot of work. And just getting the sound good, I think people spend a lot of time getting the sound right and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, yeah. But anyway, no, nothing to announce. But I don't know. We think about it sometimes. Uh, we we were kind of talking about this earlier a little bit, especially with the one of that earlier that first question we had. But um, there's a guy I know I met a long time ago, Josh Marinacci. He used to work for like Sun, I think, Sun Microsystems, and then uh, for Oracle for a little while. I'm not sure what he does now. I haven't run into him in a while. But um, he, on his blog, which is at joshondesign.com, we'll put a link in the show notes. I, I saw him tweet, actually, I'd, that he's like, hey, we know one of my, my latest blog posts is like at the top of Hacker News, and we got to look at it. And it's um, the title of the post is Five Reasons Why You Should Hire an Old Programmer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he's like, you know, we're not going to work as many hours as the kids fresh out of college. And, you know, cause we have kids and mortgages and softball games and, you know, we're not going to hang out at the office playing Xbox and ping pong all night. And we're not going to work 80 hours and we're going to use our vacation time. Yeah. <laughs> and of course we cost more than young mm-hmm. programmers, but despite all that, you know, you should hire programmers and here's why. And he just, he kind of goes through just like, you know, the experience, you know, we've been through all these things. We, you know. We know how to you know, modularize code. We are the kind of the mythical 10x programmers. Uh, not because we're, you know, so much inherently better. We just, we've been through this. We've seen these things. We've, we've been down the just myriad of rat holes that you can go down when you... Oh, the, I mean, we, the, when the we, better way of saying is we've made those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, judgment is another one. Deep knowledge, you know, he kind of goes into these, but wide knowledge, communication skills. Uh, it's interesting. Um do you, do you do you believe in the uh, the mythical 10x? Do you, do you believe that that concept is a thing? Remind me of the 10x. I know we talked about So the about 10x before. developer is basically the idea that your you know your A player developer mm-hmm. is is 10 times more productive than your you know B or C developer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I buy into it. I think I do too. I've just I've seen it. I mean I've just seen it, yeah. <laughs> you know. I've seen teams where there's one guy, and I, I use the word "guy" just you know, gender neutrally. Is there an, is there a gender neutral word for that? Some I don't know. Yeah. People. I've seen I've seen people who who are basically the reason the whole team is getting anything done. Yeah. You know, a team of three or four people, and there's one person that's getting basically all the work done. There's a couple people that are they do some things, but they they you know they're not they're not they're not breaking stuff, but their data don't get a lot done. And then there's usually one person that's actually a, a negative drag. You'd be better off not having them on the team. Right. 
Yeah, no, I, I've seen it. Even 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 now, where I think I'm, there are times where I think I'm not as productive as I could be, and then I'll come across someone who is a lot less experienced and find out they've been working on the same problem for like a month. Not same problem, but same project that I probably could have done and done in a week. I'm like, yeah, maybe I'm not as unproductive as I thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's taken them a month. Right. And it's like, you know, if you can get a, de- if you can, you know, spend 30 or 40% more and get a developer that's, so 10X, what's that? That's a thousand percent more, yeah. right? Then, of course. I've but, run into people who are working on a project for a year and I've had to rescue the project in like a month or two months time. Yeah. Um, not to, it's not a brag, it's just, an experience where I've, I've had been in that situation. Or I, I've seen you know, a, probably a really similar thing where someone's working out for something for a month, they're kind of stuck, not getting a whole lot done. And the other person steps in and within basically two hours, they've got it fixed. It's just like, and of course, a lot of that is a, you know, should someone have been working on that for, for a month without asking for help or. I, I will say that um, in a lot of those situations where it was taking months instead of weeks, like it should have, it was a solo junior developer. Um, and anyone doing anything solo is going to mess up a lot and take a lot more time. So I even think, yeah, I even think, you know, there are times I stare at a problem all day only to either talk it out with someone and realize my mistake or someone just look at my screen and go, eh, that's wrong. (laughs) I I think almost everyone benefits, even the 10 Xers from pair programming. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. Anyway, that's a cool article. Uh, Josh is just a pretty good writer. He's, he's, he's written this blog forever. Anyway, we'll put in the show notes. I don't know what he's doing nowadays. Nice guy, that very nice guy. Smart. He's looking for work. <laughs> That's why he penned that blog. Yeah, no, he's he's like you know he's authored some books, some Java books back in the day and stuff. He's a real. He's also you probably um is a kind of developer you'd want to follow because he is very. In fact, the way I met him was through um he used to do. He wrote like the book. I actually wrote a book called Swing Hacks. Swing is one of is one of the Java kind of UI libraries. I guess it's kind of a, almost a framework in a way stack. I guess. Yeah, he had a book. Uh, it was like an O'Reilly book, Swing Hacks. That sounds familiar. Yeah, but yeah, he's all into vi- visual stuff quite a bit. What else do I have? Did you see that the, uh, was a couple weeks ago, this this NASDAQ, they had to shut the NASDAQ down or something? No. Because it, you know, it was after hours, thank, thank God. Uh, I guess some developers were testing some code and they tested it against the live data, the production database. Oh. And so it set, what it did was it set a ton of stocks, including um, Amazon and like several other big stocks, to $123.47. And for some stocks, that was a bump up. But for Amazon, which is like, what is it, Amazon at a 900 and something? Um, it was, you know, a huge drop. And so immediately all these, you know, because people have all these algorithmic things and and mm-hmm. and basically when you hit a certain level, you know, buy things, sell things, whatever. Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. So it's all automated. <laughs> Uh, but it was after hours, but they, they didn't have to, you know, like do a, what are they, like a halt or whatever it's called. And they just, they shut the whole, they shut the market down. Wow. No, I didn't hear about yeah. that. But it reminds me of. How did that happen though? How, how? Well, first of all, it shouldn't happen because it shouldn't be that easy to, to latch onto production database credentials of the freaking NASDAQ. Come on. Um, but it's it like rem- someone got lazy and they're trying to test some code to, to I, I bet you anything does. it started with a troubleshooting issue. And someone hooked up their system to to production to see if they could troubleshoot an issue, a, a quote unquote data issue. Forgot to switch it back, and when someone ran their code, it it happened. Yeah, 
Could be. Like I said, it just it shouldn't be possible for developers to even get access to. Mm-mm. Like that should be some DevOps thing where now that, that, once it's deployed for them because they're a financial institution, that is likely a uh, regulatory uh, error. Or I'm sorry, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a violation of some sort. Yeah, it should be like a regulation yeah. violation. Yeah, I, I know that uh, when I work work with financial institutions, there are certain things I'm not allowed to have access to. Uh, like tax and accounting and things like I'm right. as a developer, I'm not allowed to be in anywhere near that production data. Yep. Because I know the system too. But well. it reminds me of there was a I think I, it was I a, got Superman. It what is it Superman four? Where they know. took like the remainders of the scent. Oh, it was uh, Office Space did yeah. it too. <laughs> I think they did it because of the movie Floating Point errors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it reminds me. Of, was it about a month or so mm-hmm. ago? Someone wrote a blog post and said, "Hey, I just got I've started my new job." a software engineer and I got fired and they wrote the story and what what they did was I think it was like their first day too which is the sad part did you stop me if you've heard this I haven't I think it's I think it made it to the top of Hacker News also Uh, I'll try to find the link but what they did was they you know they someone was helping them get their their machine set up and how to connect to the, the Git repository so they you know checked out the checked out the code you know make sure you can build you know build everything um but they were ran some tests, or you know, like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess, I'm, I can build. Let me run the test now. So they run the tests, and of course, a lot of database tests. The first thing they do is any tables they're going to interact with. So mm-hmm. first of all, they want to populate them with like kind of some seed data, so the test can run against data. Right. But you first of all, you want to zero, you want to zero out those tables, truncate the tables, and then populate with your seed data, and then the test runs. Right. For some reason, it, it must have been in the. In the source code, which is the the big file, the repository, but it by default connected to their production database, and so the person goes to run the test, and it it removes all of their data, and they did not have backups, and so the CIO, I think it was the CIO, basically that takes this person to their office and you know chews them out and tells them they're fired, and there's likely going to be legal consequences of what they did, so. I'll just leave that there. I mean, we're probably over time now, but it was interesting because uh, tons of people came to, to this person's defense, and I think they should too. It was yeah. it was the company's fault that it was so easy to connect to the production database. It was the company's fault that they store credentials in their freaking Git repository. Yeah. Um, it was the company's fault that they don't have any. Not that they not have backups, but they don't. I mean, or not they don't have a, a good plan for restoring and whatever. But they didn't even have backups. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. I mean, there's so many things that the company should have been doing that if had they done any one of those would have prevented this. This was not that person's fault. It shouldn't, you know, it should be impossible to do what happened. More or less, like, easy. That was the, that was the default thing that happened. You check out code, build, and test, and you deleted the production database. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be that easy. <clears throat> anyway. I have no words for that. Yep. All right. Well, I think I'm out of topics. We've been going a while. It's good to it's good to get back uh, back on the saddle. Is it in the saddle? Something we're yeah. doing something with the saddle. <laughs> Rubbing some saddle soap on it. <laughs> Got a little dirty there for a while. <laughs> I am no way involved with Jeremy's saddle. Yeah. I don't know what he does with the saddle. Yeah. Denial is not a river in Egypt, John. Yes, it is. Um, so yeah, we know we, I think we lost a lot of subscribers in our iTunes mishap. So we really need people to share us on the socials, tell a friend, or resubscribe, <laughs> resubscribe. In fact, that actually helps us. Even if you don't use iTunes, just subscribe on iTunes. 
<laughs> and it really brings me back to why do I say this? I don't know. <laughs> We're not going to, it's like, it's going to make, I don't know. It helps people find us. That's why, that's how I think it does help people find us. Uh, I don't think we have, we have no reviews, right? Not, it's been a while for reviews. Well, no, because the, I, the review service is based on iTunes. Oh, and so I can't pull iTunes when it was hidden and down. And yeah. uh, fortunately, the other guys didn't have any reviews. So they didn't mess with our review system. And I, I do, I probably see most of when people do share us on Twitter and things. And I always appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you for people who do, who do help uh, spread the word. Uh, so questions and topics, please email us info at gooddayserpodcast.com. We, you know, if you have, if you want to get private feedback or you have questions that you want us to talk about topics, whatever, we love getting those. Uh, reviews are great. Like I said, iTunes, is that pretty much the only place? I don't know. There's probably a Google thing. We don't do Stitcher or whatever I don't Stitcher think is. Google Play lets you do reviews. Right. Uh, what else? Uh, Slack. We have a Slack community with a bunch of uh, very nice, funny, and interesting folks. So if you're interested in joining this, if, if you're listening to this and you, you're not in our Slack, then check it out. It's easy. So you go to gooddaysirpodcast.com, click on community, and uh, just give us your email address so John can sign you up. Yep. I guess we're doing a podcast again. So do I get to stay or are you going to replace me? <laughs> I don't know. I think the jury's out. I mean, we have to, we have to do the poll, so... <laughs> And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.